Morning. Uh, we have a wonderful tradition of giving a Bible to everyone who names the name of Jesus and uh, who are baptized. And uh, Luke Beasley was baptized a couple of weeks ago, and he's here today. And J.T. Fox was baptized uh, this past week, and he's here today. We want to give them a Bible. So if we can just encourage y'all to, uh, I know Luke's here, J.T., if y'all make your way on up here. And uh, just a little bit about them. Luke is the son of Carrie and Brad Beasley. Do you mind coming up here? I know it's an extra, extra step, and we're going to just really just kind of give it to you. Um, and also the, the, the grandson of Philip and Sherry Young. And JT, come on. We usually do this on the floor for those of you who are visiting with us. Uh, JT is the son of uh, Christy and Todd Fox and the grandson of uh, Lyndall and Sue. Uh, and for both of you, just want you to know how proud we are of you. We give you this Bible, but also just kind of look out at this church family because as we give you this Bible, we are promising to you to be here for you, uh, to support you in your walk. Uh, and now we're going to have a, a special prayer uh, from one of our shepherds just for you. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this moment. We love these moments, and we love these boys, these young men, JT and Luke. We're so thankful for their good families, all the good influences that they've had. And we're thankful now, Father, for the wonderful influence they'll be on others. We're thankful that they see you as their God, that they've given their life to Jesus, and that the Spirit now dwells within them. Bless them in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I have received uh, so many encouraging comments about our month of hospitality. Uh, sometimes we play the host, sometimes we play the guest, and I know there was one uh, couple that uh, had some folks over at the park. Uh, and they talked about how wonderful that was. My prayer is that that spirit of hospitality will, will continue and continue more and more. And a good way for that to happen is for you to consider joining a small group Bible study. Uh, if you look in the bulletin, there's an insert in there with some details. The big day is August 20th. That's when we get an opportunity to join a new group. If you've uh, recently joined our church family or been uh, visiting with us, I encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, so many benefits, and we'll, you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Today is the last day for Barrett and Jenna to, to be with us. And we know the moving company comes tomorrow. The boys are already in Arkansas. And, and more will be said at the end of worship. Um, as you know, we've been talking about this uh, during our coffee time today. We'll all have a chance to personally speak to them and, and, and say our appreciation. But I also want to share a public word of appreciation to these two. Barrett and Jenna and Bear moved here in March of 2020. Anyone remember what else happened in March of 2020? I mean, they moved here, and the very next week, the whole world shut down. You know, all in-person worship just ceased. And think about what, what an amazing setting to move to a new town, uh, to begin a, a new student ministry. And yet, Barrett remained vigilant and steadfast, uh, became especially creative when the rest of us were locked in our homes. He was meeting with our teenagers out in the park in places where they could meet during that time. And for the next three and a half years, we grew to love and appreciate them so much as they modeled and taught Jesus for us. During that time, they also added two more, Luke and Camp, to their group. Thank you both 
for selflessly loving us, teaching us, modeling Jesus for us. We are better for you coming our way. You not only delayed your departure uh, to, to move, uh, but you stayed behind to help lead the search for Jackson and Audrey. And in the history of the church, just managed to pull off the smoothest ministry transition ever. And for that, we are grateful. So today, before you go, we say thank you. We love you, and we are going to miss you. And I'll say while you're moving to Arkansas to join the family business of farming, I'm not alone in saying you will always be a part of this church. And I hope you know that. And we look forward to the days you visit and uh, catch up with us with what's happening in your life. So we'll, again, share more as we end. Last week, I was the guest speaker at the Beach Hill Church. Uh, that's between Mount Pleasant and uh, Hampshire. Uh, you may have heard of it. You may have not. I had to look it up on the map when they called me and asked me to come speak. But what a sweet, sweet group. If you were here, you got to hear a wonderful message from Greg Lee on forgiveness and we all need a lesson on forgiveness well in our study of the one another passages the next on my list was forgiveness and i thought well good i'll just kind of skip over that one and and keep going but as you recall his message was really about receiving god's forgiveness he didn't speak about extending forgiveness while they're related they're not the same, and we're going to see that in our study today. When the elders and I were meeting Wednesday night, we were just talking about Sunday, and we talked about having a special prayer for Sutherland and Tommy, and, and giving a Bible to JT and, uh, and Luke, and then we've got some special things we're going to share about Barrett and Jenna. I said, right now, the sermon has been carved down to about seven minutes. And one of our el elders quickly said, oh, who's speaking? Uh, <laughs> So while this may be the shortest message you've heard in quite a while, I believe this teaching today may be among the hardest to forgive others. Jesus went to the cross to help us clearly see what it means to love one another. In fact, he says, if you want to get the attention of the world, love one another. Nothing does it like that. And loving one another means being willing to forgive. You can open your Bibles or it's on the screen. It's actually printed at the top of your outline if you're following along. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. This is going to be our text. Paul writes very bluntly, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. A couple of lessons we need to learn from this. As Christians, we are responsible for the way we respond to wounds. As Christians, we are responsible for the way we respond to wounds. Now, we can't control the way people react or respond to us, but we are responsible for the way we respond to them, especially especially when they wrong us, especially when they sin against us. Look carefully at this passage here. He says, get rid of. It's not, hey, it'd be a good thing if you discontinue, or, or why don't you consider? No, he says, get rid of. Like now, drop it, let it go. 
Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, every form of malice. And then be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, when we read a passage like that in Scripture, we may be tempted to think, yeah, but Paul doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know how I've been wrong. He doesn't, we think that way, don't we? Or at least we tend to think that way. But Paul, in writing here, doesn't leave any room for an exception. Did you notice that? There's no star in the text. There's no, hey, but uh, here's a caveat or, or here's an exception. That's not mentioned at all because we spend all kinds of mental energy just reliving our hurt and our wound, holding on to what somebody did to me and how I have a right to be angry about that. I have a right to be upset. I, I, I need them to, to come to me. I'm, and we just replay that in our minds. But that doesn't even factor into what Paul says here. And we need to remember that. We also need to keep in mind the context. Paul wrote these words about forgiving one another while he's sitting in a prison cell. So he's in prison writing this. There was nothing about his imprisonment that was fair or just or right. So you may not be responsible for the way somebody wronged you, somebody wounded you, but you are responsible in the way you respond to that, how you handle that. See, understand what Jesus said when he was telling us about this kingdom life and what it means to follow him. Jesus never said, follow me, be my disciple, and people won't hurt you. He never made that promise. Jesus never said, be my disciples, and all my disciples will always treat you well. They'll always do you right. In fact, just the opposite. You remember in teaching us how to pray, Jesus told us, forgive those who've wronged us. Matthew 6, 12, you know this verse well. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because we have all will be wounded even after entering into the kingdom of God. And Jesus admits here, in my kingdom, you are going to have debtors. It is going to happen. Those who hurt you. The question is, what are you going to do about it? The question is, how, how are you going to respond? Now that you belong to Jesus, how are you going to react to that? How many of you remember the blockbuster video stores? Are you old enough to remember those and the joy of going up and down the aisles, looking at all those videos. And then also having to think, okay, this one is due on this day by noon. i got to make sure that I can get it back in time. Reader's Digest tells a story about a guy who, without realizing it, walked right into a police stakeout. As he was going into his local blockbuster, he was going into the door as the, the man that the police were looking for was stepping out. And so in a matter of just seconds, he was surrounded by these police officers. They grab the guy, and they cuff him, and they take him down. And, and obviously, his jaw just dropped. His eyes must have been big as saucers because the police officer looked over at him and saw how astonished he was. And he says, when they say that video is due at noon, they mean it's due at noon. <laughs> we remember that fear, don't we? Obviously... That arrest was not about the video store. But the reality is, all of us have had to deal in a relationship with somebody in your world where something was past due. 
They stepped across the line. They didn't come through. They didn't keep their word. They stabbed you in the back, whatever it was. How do you handle past due moments in relationships? Because somebody owes you something. They owe you an explanation. They owe you an apology. They owe you the truth for a change. They owe you. And all of us have debtors. And being in the kingdom of God doesn't exempt you from that. Just because you've been forgiven by God doesn't mean that now everybody's going to treat you well. And you're exempt from that. So we've got to watch ourselves. We've got to catch ourselves when we either continue in or go back to the role of bill collectors. When somebody owes me, Christ followers understand that bill collecting violates the heart of the kingdom call. And yet, even as I say that, I think, you know, that doesn't sound fair, does it? It doesn't sound fair because it's not fair. And even as Jesus was trying to explain what life in his kingdom looked like, what it meant to be a part of his church, what it meant to be his follower, even his own disciples who were trying to grasp it didn't quite get it. In fact, Peter asked, you remember Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Now he thinks he's being generous with that amount, up to seven times. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You may remember some translations render that 70 times seven, meaning an absurd amount. I mean, more than you keep count, over and over and over again. But that's not all what Jesus said. Do you remember what came next? Let's look at this teaching, beginning verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 bags of gold, that man was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You've heard of debtor's prison? Uh, that was a, a way of, of handling this kind of situation. I was reading that mid-19th century is when that no longer se seemed to be the common, although it still happens even today. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him again to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the, called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Two things I think are noteworthy. Word of bill collecting always gets back to the master. God knows your heart. 
God knows what you're thinking. God is very aware of your unforgiveness. You may think it's private. You may think you've let it go. But if you're hanging on to that, if you still got that bill-collecting mindset, God is very, very aware. But also notice this. The master was not angry because of the presence of debt. He was angry because of the absence of mercy. He was angry about that. Christians forgive because they've been forgiven by their king. You remember the beatitude? Blessed are the merciful. Do you remember how it ends? For they shall obtain mercy. That is who God is. But again, I know that doesn't sound fair. And so you hang on to your wound. You hang on to your resentment as if it was your right. We hang on to our rights. But the reality is that bitterness is not an unfairness problem. I put this on your outline. It's on the screen. Bitterness is an unwillingness problem. Let that sink in. Bitterness is an unwillingness problem. The unmerciful servant thought it was his right to demand payback. He wanted full payment for his brother's wrong. And Jesus summed up really what's going on here. In verse 30, the New American Standard renders it, he was unwilling. That's the problem. He was unwilling to let it go. You don't stumble into bitterness. It is a choice. You choose to hang on to it. You get their own purpose. Relational bill collecting is a choice. And just like love is a choice, remember 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. And isn't that what we're talking about here? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, let's go a little deeper in our thinking. The refusal, the refusal to forgive is really nothing more than a declaration of personal sovereignty. You are saying that your will is on the throne and Jesus' will is nowhere near. What you're thinking, you're feeling supersedes what Jesus is commanding of you. Your will comes before Jesus. It's evidence that you're unwilling for the things on earth to be as they are in heaven. Remember that part of his prayer as well? It truly represents a stubborn refusal to deal with others the way we want and even expect God to deal with us. Two totally different standards. But God expects a different heart from those whom he has granted a change in status. A free change in status. You're forgiven. You have no debts. And yet we're treating others differently. I want you to see, notice in this story. In fact, if you're the kind that likes to mark in your Bibles, I encourage you to just circle or mark angry. He was angry. The master was angry. God gets angry about this. It bothers him so that he would be so generous with forgiveness to you that you would turn around and withhold that to others. How? How can we do that? It upsets him so. Now, this anger is not an out-of-control emotion, but it's a deep hurt. Because when you do this, it wounds him. It hurts him. When we do not forgive. Look again at the text, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
I read that again because now I want you to see what he stated before that verse. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed with the day of redemption. When you do not forgive, you grieve God. When you are wronged and you choose bitterness and you feel like you're owed, you are as far away from God as you've ever been. And you grieve God. And it's not that we can't forgive. We can forgive. It's that we choose not to. It's an unwillingness problem. That's how Jesus describes it. For the kingdom to come, we have to let go. But that's not fair, is it? It's not fair. So number two, we need to understand that forgiveness is an unfair solution. Can we be real about that? Can we just say that? Forgiveness is an unfair solution. There may be some people in your life who have hurt you who do not deserve to be forgiven. Say it. It's true. But just because it's true doesn't mean that you should not forgive them. We do not forgive because others deserve it. We forgive because we have been forgiven, even though we didn't deserve it. That's the power behind this forgiveness. Nothing is more unfair than your own salvation. Can I say that again? Nothing is more unfair than your own salvation. You deserve to die. You deserve to be punished. You have enough sin debt to send you into torment for eternity. And yet the grace of God covers you. You have God's mercy. Listen to what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. One another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You want to know where the power comes from? You want to know where the motivation comes from? You want to know how can you do this? This is how you do it. When you realize how much you have been forgiven, we need to remember that God... Let us off the hook because he placed his son on the tree. That's the way it works. So then we don't get hung up with whatever wounds we may have because we realize we've been washed, we've been cleaned, we've been forgiven. Now, there's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. And that could be a, a whole other lesson with much more time. Reconciliation is a two-way street. I cannot be reconciled to someone if they do not wish to be reconciled with me. But forgiveness that we're talking about here, this is the one way. I can forgive whether you want it or not. I can forgive whether you ask for it or not. You can forgive someone who's not alive. It's a matter of you letting go. Forgiveness is a choice. This kind of king, can kingdom forgiveness, again, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Rooting in your own understanding. It's foundational in your own understanding of your forgiveness. Your understanding of the grace of God. I wonder why, and I think of this often, if that's not why we take communion every week. We take that bread and we take that cup and remember that body, remember the blood. Jesus took, as Chris read from Isaiah, all our sin, by his wounds, we are healed. We need to remember that. 
Because we've got a good forgetter when it comes to that. We can forget our own mistakes while we cling to someone else's, how they've wronged us. Folks, that is the unfair grace of God, that God would take all of our sins and place them on Jesus. Remember what the Bible talks about that? Made him who knew no sin to become sin. So that when he looks on you, he can see the righteousness of his son. The world so needs to see this. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, this kind of forgiveness is truly amazing. This is what says, there's a new king in town. There's a new king in me. I'm living by a different standard. I'm not responding the way everybody else responds. Which brings me to the last point. It speaks to how we do this. We make peace because we've already been forgiven. We choose not to find our identity in what's been done to me. My upbringing or my, my this or my that or what happened to me. That is not what defines me. That is not my identity. Our identity as believers in Jesus is that we are a child of the Most High God. Jesus is our King. We are His disciple. We are following Him. Our identity is the one who was wounded for us. So we focus more on what Jesus did for us than what others have done to us. That's how we think. That's what we believe. That's where we stand. Now, a few points of clarity. That does not mean and Jesus is never teaching this in Scripture, that we allow evil to go unopposed. The Scripture does not tell us to act as if it never happened or to pretend like it didn't hurt. That's not ever stated in Scripture. It doesn't mean that we stay in an abusive situation or allow evil to continue. But what it does mean is we no longer think like the world and go around collecting bills or keeping score or keep that record of wrongs. When you are finally free to hurt, to, to free the person who hurts you, you discover that you're the one who finds freedom. It's about letting go. It's about receiving the forgiveness of God and then extending it to others. Folks, this is so powerful. Let me just close with this. William Williman wrote this. One Sunday after I preached from a text in which Jesus commands us to forgive, a person emerged from the church and accosted me at the door with this, do you mean to tell me that Jesus expects me to forgive my abusive ex-husband who made my life hell for 10 years until I finally had the guts to leave him? He said, immediately I went into a defensive mode. Well, we only have a few minutes for a sermon and I can't appropriately qualify everything here, but I do believe that spouse abuse is a terrible evil. But this is the sort of odd thing that you would expect Jesus to say. He did say we ought to forgive 70 times 7, and that's a great deal of forgiveness. And he did say to forgive our enemies, and I can't think of a worse enemy for you than your ex-husband. And, and he said the woman drew up to full height, took a deep breath, and said, good, just check it. And then he wrote this, God, give me the grace as a preacher not to try to protect others from Jesus. Amazing grace 
How sweet the sound. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's not fair. But we don't want fair. We have been forgiven. And now we have the ability to forgive. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to accept the forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have his righteousness. He took your sin debt. He wants you to be one with God. But you have to accept it. That's the reconciliation. If you've never yet confessed the name of Jesus, if you've never yet been baptized like JT was this past week, Luke a couple of weeks ago, others in this room, we will so happily help you with that. We'll rejoice with you. We'll hug your neck. This song has encouraged you to make that step. Or if you need help in forgiving, if we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing? Oh,